Welcome to the Prison Pod, a podcast for all people experiencing incarceration. The mission of this podcast is to save lives, restore hope, reduce suffering, and recidivism. Many show ideas come directly from the listeners, so please write the host. Prison Pod, Post Office Box 294, Orono, Maine, 04473. Here is your host, Ms. Valerie. Well, hello, and thank you for letting me join you again on the Prison Pod. Today, I'm really excited because I have somebody who's kind of in my own backyard, uh, a local author here from Maine. We have Henry Lyons joining us, and I'm going to just jump in and let him talk about his book right off, uh, including the title. Yes, uh, good morning. I'm glad to be here. My name is Henry Lyons, and I am in your backyard. I am in Midcoast, Maine. And uh, I have a new book out called Being Free on the Inside. And this is a book I've actually spent 20 years creating. So I started writing it when I was in prison. Uh, I spent six years in the main correctional system and uh, started in county jail, went up to Thomaston and uh, ended up at the farm. So I started writing this at the farm. Was, was this something that you decided to do on your own or was there maybe a writer's group there at the farm? What encouraged you to start writing? Well, um, interestingly enough, I, I did not have a writer's group at the farm. It, when I was in Thompson, I haven't covered this yet, but uh, I was in a writer's group with Dennis DeShane and um, Scott Antworth and a couple of other people uh, who are great writers. Um, and I was actually uh, surprised because uh, having had some formal education, um, I was an attorney for five years. I have a, a bachelor's in political science and um, a master's in uh, software development. Um, these kinds of, uh, folks, you know, the, the stereotype you have of people in prison isn't necessarily, uh, that impressive. Uh, but when I got there, and this is one of the things I'd like people to take away from the book, uh, is you find out there are some very impressive people in prison, some people who, um, should not be discarded and should not be forgotten about. The, the fact that we're removing them from society should not mean that we're also somehow uh, denigrating them as people. So uh, when I started writing, um, I was actually talking about the idea. Uh, I was working in the education department at the farm, and uh, one of the people I was working with um, uh, basically said, yeah, write it. After I had pitched him the idea, yeah, just write it, do it, see see how it comes out. And uh, I had one other guy who uh, wanted to, um, you know, read, and so he was my muse, and I would take him, uh, uh, you know, five pages, ten pages, whatever it is I'd come up with, and he would always come back and go, yeah, this is great. No, you should keep writing this. So I had uh, really good encouragement uh, from the beginning. And, and that's how it started. So one thing I notice is it is a piece of fiction, but as you're reading it, it's very real. And by that, I mean, 
the relationships with the men as they learn about each other and the coping skills that each other use. Uh, and one of your characters, Dalton, I've got to bring his name up, is um, really quite an interesting fellow. And when I was reading it, I'm thinking, wow, what is he doing? Is he shape-shifting? Is he leaving his body? Is this a mystical quality he has? And you use the word magical realism. I love that term. Could you talk about that a little? Sure, I'd be happy to. And, you know, what a what a joy it is to have someone who's actually read your work. You know, you'll see it on television sometimes. People go, oh, yeah, have you read my book? You want to interview me about it, but you haven't read it. And that's always disappointing. But no, this is a this is a treat. So thank you very much for taking the time and, and doing that. And I know you haven't gotten all the way through, so I will try not to spoil anything for you. Um, but magical realism, uh, we'll start with that as a, uh, a topic, um, really comes from a heritage of books that try to blend uh, certain aspects of a uh, altered reality with uh, the real world. So one of the first ones I ever uh, read uh, was the teachings of Don Juan, a Yaqui way of knowledge. That was a, a Carlos Castaneda classic from the 70s. Uh, and he wrote, uh, you know, another seven or eight books and then uh, started a process in California called Tensegrity. Um, and he has his own foundation. He's passed, but uh, the foundation still exists. And then there are other great authors that I discovered when I got to Thomaston. Um, Dan Millman is a fantastic author who has an excellent command of magical realism and his character Socrates. Um, he did a peaceful warrior movie back in 2006, which I recently rewatched because I, uh, wanted to be able to kind of touch the roots of where I started with all this and speak intelligently if possible. Um, and uh, and then there's also books like uh, Celestine Prophecy, where they're looking to uh, enlightenment and ascension and, and trying to raise their uh, body energy to a higher level and, and sort of merge with the cosmos. Um, all these things are fascinating, but they weren't exactly where I wanted to be in my book. I wanted to make sure that people knew when they were reading it that there was enough of reality to believe that this could happen. And that's one of the um, nice pieces of feedback I've gotten from early readers is that they want to believe. They want to believe that this is real. And so one of the things that I have put into the Dalton character is a, a very mysterious quality. He's, he's actually based on several people who I met in prison, um, uh, most of whom have passed now. Uh, but uh, the the character himself is is sort of who you would want for a big brother. He's he's the person you would want for a mentor, uh, and he uh, it, it, you know, on several occasions in the book, uh, is a protector for the main character Corey. Now, Corey is not me. This is a fictional character, and uh, Corey is based on me, but I would say, you know, the experience he has versus my experience, they, there's about 80% crossover. 
That's interesting that you brought that up because people always wonder about characters in the book and if they were from someone. And I like the explanation you used on who Dalton is. And, uh, and, you know, you don't... One thing I liked about Sopar, you don't ever tell us if it is real or if it isn't real. I haven't seen it yet. I mean... The experiences, I don't want to give anything away in the book, but um, the experiences are obviously happening. You know, the character in the book is having this experience, and it is unexplainable. It's and fun, isn't it? I mean, I I just is. love that. It, it's it's and one of the reasons they call it magical realism is because they want to separate it from uh, nonfiction. That's that's the first thing. When you when you talk about prison fiction, immediately people go, "Well, now why would you write such a thing? Wouldn't wouldn't we want to know just the details, like true crime, right? So true crime as a genre is a completely different thing than what I'm doing. Um, I have explicitly in in the uh, author's note in the beginning said, I'm not mentioning any details about Corey's crime. And I'm not mentioning any details about my crime. You will know categorically what it is because I do say what the crime is internally. It's a sex crime. But the fact that I have mentioned that doesn't give anyone else the right to ask questions about what happened, who it happened to, when it happened, all those things, they are not material to the point that we're making. The point we're making is that hope is real, people are redeemable, and that prison is a scary place, but you can keep yourself safe and you can accomplish good things there if you're in the right mindset. Getting there is the struggle that you see Corey deal with. Because it is a struggle. It is a daily struggle. And uh, I'm preaching to the choir to all the guys who are inside, because they all know. But I want the book to be able to be read by both audiences, both people on the inside, on the outside, and people who have already been to prison and who are out and can relate back. I, I, I have a couple of friends who have read it who uh, were former inmates. And they have loved it because they can relate to it. They can relate to the feelings. And I think that that's one of the most important things when you're reading a book is that you can somehow uh, picture yourself uh, either being friends with the protagonist or having some of the same experiences and therefore know what they're going through a little bit. Well, and I think the best thing about the idea of not even really mentioning the crimes of anybody I mean, it's briefly mentioned, but uh, that's not what this book is about. This, to me, this was showing the human beings, the men, their thoughts and their feelings, their emotions, their spiritual connectedness. Um, they were, it was about the people and the experience of where they were and how they dealt with that experience. And I thought you did a really good job with doing that. Especially, um, there's a part where you're talking about uh, affirmations and going through, and you said, I recited these like prayers. And each man, you gave a name, like you say, say less and listen more, and then it's spread. Um, 
I really love the idea that even though it's fiction, that everyone is recognized and use their first name. Because as you know, a lot of times you don't hear your first name in prison. You know, it, they assign you a number. You know, they call you by your last name. So I, I like that. And that stood out to me as that human side of the story. It's interesting you should mention that because right now I'm working on the second book. Uh, and I just went through and had a discussion on the whole last name thing. Um, and no, we don't, we don't get called by number very often. It's not like I'm number six and I'm the prisoner uh, and Patrick McGowan is going to walk in and, um, uh, show me the village, uh, for those people who are fans of the prisoner series. Um, and, and that was also kind of a magical realism, uh, uh, show. Um, but, uh, the idea is that making these, uh, uh, affirmations personal and uh, giving credit to the people in the book who had helped Corey. And I almost said me, because a lot of these things are personal. A lot of these uh, affirmations apply to me. Um, but it's not all of them. And it's not all, it certainly didn't all happen the way it, it, it is in the book. Um, the nice thing about a novel is uh, you can take out all the stuff that uh, is not really relevant. Uh, you can focus in on uh, some of the things that are uh, highlights and, and good points as well as bad points and make it all come together. Um, one of the things we talked about uh, before we got started here was uh, possibly doing a reading. I'm wondering whether it makes sense to uh, just launch into chapter one a little bit and give people a little bit of the flavor of what I've written. That is perfect. I was just going to ask you to do that. So perfect timing. Okay. So listen, um, I, it's not going to be a long reading. Um, and, uh, as I was telling you before we got started, um, I am in the process right now of reading the entire book. Uh, so that I can put it on Audible and people can listen as opposed to just read. Um, I have family members who have not read the book yet because they uh, really don't read much anymore. Uh, but they love reading uh, through their ears. They love listening. Um, and we'll put it on in the car or something while they're going. So um, I, I have been through about half the book that way and I plan to keep going. Uh, so without further ado, chapter one of being free on the inside. There was a time in my life not too long ago when the one thing I wanted more than anything else in the world was to die. I was standing in a courtroom in my best tan suit, taking off my watch, my ring, removing my lacquered pens from my coat pocket and putting them in a little pile for my lawyer to present to my mother. The judge gave me fifteen years in prison, of which I would serve six with good time. Life as I knew it ceased to exist. I consider the experience a blessing now, because losing everything and practically every one cleared the detritus of my greed-inspired life. Only after I found my slate wiped mercilessly clean was there room to see truth, and what I saw scared the hell out of me. One man who helped me see it 
changed my life forever. His name is Dalton. Dalton McCormick does not approve of this book. I've told him my plans to share the story with anyone who will listen. He just laughed. No matter how many times most people look in a mirror, they still don't really see themselves. I found it mildly amusing given the mirrored glasses he always wears and what I eventually saw in those mirrors. But appearances are deceiving. I take what he says seriously because I know he is one of the very few people who does see. I'm going to tell you about him, but first I need to go back and fill in some details, because there was a time when I didn't believe anything he said. I didn't even believe my own eyes. The first night I spent in the maximum security state prison scared me half to death. Noises of grinding, rusted metal permeated my tiny cell. By tiny, I mean that you could stand in the middle and touch both side walls with your fingertips. The walls shook constantly, reverberating every time a barred door slammed violently shut. Small flecks of paint and dirt fell from the ceiling. They filtered like fine silt onto everything I owned, my hair, my clothes, and my books. I had already spent six months in the county jail, but be advised, there is virtually no comparison between the two. If jail is boot camp, prison is war. The day I arrived at the prison, the property officer dispensed a pile of four molting woolen blankets to me that smelled of urine. He topped them with two stained sheets. The sheets were too small to fit the mattress, and were not fitted, so they came up around the corners and ended up in a ball in the middle by daybreak. Some guys had a way of knotting them so it wouldn't happen, but it took me years to figure out the trick. As I stood six feet tall, the mattress was barely long enough. The smoke, during most waking hours, was so thick I had to fashion a makeshift ventilator from the dirty sheets to avoid inhaling it directly. I looked into the mirror over the sink, saw my sunken brown eyes, my copper-colored unkempt hair, and wondered how I would survive. It took me several days to get a decent night's sleep. Now I want to hear you read the whole book. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's amazing hearing it in your voice, you know, well, having it you. read to you. I really like that. Well, I, I do voices uh, on the audio. So, you know, the voice I use for Dalton, I've now had quite a bit of practice with. Um, and that's a little bit how the guy who I modeled that character on spoke. So it's this is not all fantasy in my head. In my head, I get to go back and visit with that person a little bit who I do miss. Um, just a little bit on the prison. Is it my understanding you were at the old prison in Thomaston before the new one was built over in Warren? That's correct. So that place was like a dungeon. Well, in some ways, yes. Um, and you get used to it. It's, I mean, and that comes through in the book, too. Uh, you'll get uh, the flavor of what it was like in there if you um, are not someone who, who had been in there, and hopefully you're not. 
Um, it wasn't, uh, you know, the living conditions were not terrific. Um, but I, I also think that uh, for uh, building a camaraderie, uh, going through that kind of hardship really does pull people together. And um, it, it can bring out the worst in people, but it can also bring out the best in people. You know, I, I like to see the best in people. So uh, I don't know how much you know about my work, but I worked for over 20 years in some sort of prison work, starting as an advocate. Then I worked in the field of mental health, substance abuse, re-entry, pre-release, you name it, I've done it. And, of course, now I'm doing the podcast to go into the prisons. Uh, So I have a good understanding about those, the sounds and the smells and that feel and those like when you talked about the vibration of those doors, you'd feel it inside, you know, it, it, it resonates inside of you. So it's, I'm wondering, have you had any problems after you came home with readjusting like PTSD or anything from just even events like that, let alone sometimes the violence that can be witnessed? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, I think everybody who gets out goes through a transition period. My best estimate was that um, it took me a full three years to get past the point where I felt like I needed to be looking over my shoulder. Um, There is a paranoia that uh, sinks in pretty deeply. And so... Uh, the idea that you need to be on alert, your, your, your mind kind of, uh, protects you in that way, uh, doesn't go away quickly. It's a learned behavior, um, part of what they call institutionalization. Um, but I would say that after three years and, and, you know, time goes by, uh, it was better. And then, uh, I spent six years on probation uh, it didn't go away entirely, um, but I would say uh, 95% after probation was over. Because probation in of itself, especially for people who are sex offenders, uh, is an ordeal. Um, they require two points of contact with you per week, which is much different than the rest of the ex-offender community. Um, I know people who've gotten out who, uh, were told, okay, we'll see you in three months and and that's it. Uh, It's a very different kind of supervision. So given that and the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're not people who were, um, substance addicted, but we had to go to therapy. Um, and, uh, I'm proud to say I, I did over 500 sessions in therapy, um, because I think that that's part of recognizing the fact that, uh, I did wrong and that I needed some help, but I got it. Um, and doing that, uh, and getting through that process is, uh, is an achievement. The man who ran my group has read the book and, uh, he's since retired. Uh, I think he's about two years retired now. Um, but, uh, he said, congratulations, you, you did a great job. So I feel confident that what I've put in the book is helpful, uh, not only from a 
uh, uh, hope and redemption standpoint, but also from a therapeutic perspective, it uh, stays true to what you need to learn and how you need to transition your mind as you go along. So, as I said before, this is not the last book. I have another one in process. My plan is for the third one to actually be the period of reentry and probation. Well, now I'm going to go to something totally away from what we're talking about. And that is, what? where do you find joy in life right now? Home. I, I, I do uh, like being at home. I, I have uh, four dogs. Um, people, Someone came up to me in the cafe the other day and said, now, exactly uh, what made you decide to get four dogs? I said, poor boundaries. Um, you know, I, I just don't know when to say no, I guess. But um, the, the dogs have been terrific. Um, I did get married. Uh, I have a wonderful husband uh, named Peter, and um, I enjoy spending a lot of time uh, just doing normal house, house home life uh, with him and um, visiting family. And, uh, you know, I, I do some uh, other kinds of work. I'm not just an author. I uh, haven't been up until now anyway. Um, I, I do computer consulting and web design work. Um, but, uh, you know, all those all those things are helpful. And um, uh, some people say that social media is a, a, a bane. Um, I happen to like it, um, depending on what it is. But I have uh, friends I like to uh, talk to on social media pretty much daily. And this book has been a terrific way to reconnect with some of those people because uh, I have about 45 people I've given the book to to be early readers. And probably a third of them have finished it by now. Um, I haven't had anyone who didn't like it and who didn't connect. I've had some people who... Uh, simply uh, haven't gotten back to me, but um, we'll see. Uh, life happens and uh, things come up, so I don't expect everyone to drop everything they're doing and read my book. Um, that's that's a lie. I do. I expect everyone to drop what they're doing and read my book right now. So please do. Um, so while I'm while I'm mentioning that, um, I want to say that I have a website. You know, having uh, designed websites for uh, ten years or so. Um, hopefully, uh, it's a, a good website. Um, and it's uh, beingfreebooks.com. Uh, just like it sounds, beingfreebooks.com. And uh, you can uh, use links there to buy the book if you like. There are three editions uh, available right now on Amazon. You can buy it uh, for Kindle. So if you have an electronic device that uses Kindle, you can download it there. Um, you can buy a paperback or you can buy a hardcover. Um, two, uh, two notes about doing that. Uh, the first is uh, make sure you use the link on my site because uh, there is also a version that is in pre-release. So I'm not talking about prison pre-release. I'm talking about book pre-release. Um, but uh, there's a version that's in, uh, you'd have to wait a couple weeks to get it uh, because uh, they say it hasn't been released yet. But that's just because I have several publishers who are uh, working on producing the book with me. Um, I don't have a book deal yet, just to, to, to clarify. Um, I am self-published. 
Uh, it's not in bookstores yet, but I am going to try and change that. So um, if you want to know more about the book and you want to know how to order it, um, go to beingfreebooks.com. Just for a heads up, in Bangor, Maine, there's a little bookshop called The Briar Patch. You should contact them. They love Maine authors. Right, and that's awesome. Uh, I just had a, a bookstore down in Bath, uh, Mockingbird or Mockingjay, I don't remember which, um, tell me that they will uh, carry the book. Um, and uh, so for people listening, uh, feel free to go to a bookstore as well and ask them to stock it or carry it or whatever. Um, you usually have to put in the title and the subtitle, so uh, being free, colon, on the inside. Uh, makes it come up. Um, I just got off the phone this morning with a woman from Ingram. Um, for anyone who's not uh, a total uh, bookshelf head, um, the Ingram Spark uh, publisher is probably second in volume to uh, Amazon, Amazon being the biggest uh, publisher out there right now. That's big news. It's great. Um, but just being available, like when I, when I talk to people about building a website, what I usually say is, uh, if you put a book on the, you know, in the library on a shelf, how many people are going to find it? None, because unless somebody's just looking at that bookshelf and wondering what's up there and happens to take your book down, right? Nobody's going to find it. So I encourage people when we make a website to do marketing, um, you need to publicize, and the same thing is true for books. Even if uh, Ingram Spark and, and uh, Amazon carry my book, it doesn't mean anyone's going to find it unless I do the right marketing. Well, and you want to do, um, you know, it, you have to self-promote sometimes too. You know, it seems like I'm on social media a lot. And uh, I had a question before I forget it. Um, I was wondering if the title being free on the inside had any significance to spirituality. It does. Absolutely. Um, the journey is a spiritual journey and I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but the plot of the book uh, is basically how Dalton teaches Corey to defend himself against five evil energies. And uh, one of the things that happens in the book is uh, people learn how to see some of these energies. Um, so uh, getting to the point where you uh, are able to um, sort of live that moment, I think, is important. You know, I like the, the whole thing about the energies because... You can even look at that as different people that we meet in our lives and um, the good and the bad that we get from others, even if it's talk, you know, like negative things that people say, how that affects us. And if we can learn how to disregard that talk and be able to listen to our own selves and say, wait a minute. I know that what they're talking about, they don't know. I know who I am, and it doesn't matter what they say. So I kind of thought of those energies that way, 
as far as the people and personalities we come across in life. True. Um, and getting back to your prior question about spirituality, um, you know, there is an intersection between spirituality and religion, but there are by no means the same thing. Um, and I kind of, in, in uh, retrospect, see the offerings in prison as sort of a self-help smorgasbord, uh, which I'm sure will make the administrators of the prison delighted because that means that they have accomplished something really good. Um, sometimes it's despite their efforts, uh, but still, um, I, I believe that uh, there are a number of shining stars uh, presently in the prison system. Randy Liberty is one of them. Uh, who really get it as far as uh, what people need in order not just to survive physically, but to survive mentally and spiritually. Um, and uh, when I was doing uh, work in there as part of Kairos, I felt very supported uh, by the administration. Um, and I didn't always feel supported when I was at Thomaston. Um, of course, being a volunteer has a different stature than being an inmate, but, um, I was the same guy, um, maybe not as, as well thought out or developed yet. And, and so, uh, one of the things I cover early on in the book is the fact that I, I had to let a lot of arrogance go. And, um, that as much as anything, uh, contributed to, uh, why I screwed my life up. So taking the time to look at uh, different religions, different spiritual options, and strip away things that were uh, poorly set in terms of uh, my own attitude, re-breaking uh, as, you know, if you've got a bone that's set wrong, you have to re-break it, re-breaking some of these attitudes and letting them set correctly. Um is part of the process. So when I talk about Protestant services, Catholic services, meditation groups, um, meeting with uh, religious volunteers who would come in to visit uh, either individually or in groups, um, being part of a music ministry, all those things were part of the smorgasbord that I think uh, if you get out of the cell and participate, uh, can make a big difference. And whether or not you get sucked into any particular one, um, uh, you, you do have to be a little careful not to become sort of bound up in cult-like behavior. But um, as long as you maintain your objectivity, I think it's all good. Well, I, I think getting exposed to things that we are not familiar with is sometimes a good thing. Um, when we learn about other cultures and other practices and religions and spirituality. And as you say, huge difference between spirituality and religion. You know, um, we could talk for weeks on that subject. But um, the idea I don't think that, the podcast goes that long, but I'm, no. I'm, I'm open to the idea. <laughs> but uh, the whole idea of... Um, getting a mix of different beliefs, I think then gives us more choice of what we believe 
You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. I was raised Christian, but do I believe everything that I was taught in the church? No, I don't. And I, I went and looked myself. And I studied religious studies and theology, which I was very interested in. But I found the same thing is that so much of the religion is the rules and regulations and spirituality is what's inside that connection you the personal connection that we have and so sometimes that's not uh connected to religion at all and sometimes it is right and so no and i'm glad you brought that up and um one of the experiences that my protagonist uh cory has uh is he visits a prayer group and i thought i might do another reading uh, that has to do with that experience, because um, it, it's an example of the kinds of things that you can take away uh, from participating. Um, and, you know, even when I was doing some of my uh, religious volunteer work, you would see people walk by in the corridor, sort of looking in, because you, you can't do anything uh, completely private. Uh, the institution frowns on uh, that. They, they need to keep everybody safe. Um, but some of the people who walk by and are curious, you kind of wonder, well, now, wouldn't it be great if that person also took a few minutes to try this idea, to try stepping into this environment and learn from it, even if they don't want to stay, even if they don't think that this is for them, you know, just open your mind. Uh, and, uh, and give it a shot. So here's, here's another, uh, instance of opening your mind. And, um, this comes from about 110 pages in, in chapter five. I was surprised that Dalton invited me to a prayer meeting. He always struck me as more the meditation type. Why did he want me at this meeting? I was in for a surprise. The outside volunteer who arrived shortly after I did was a chubby man with cherubic features, despite his apparent age of nearly sixty. He had a ruddy complexion and wore a baggy cotton sweater to cover his ample paunch. The effect was that of an out-of-season Santa carrying a Bible. His congeniality was ebullient. "'Welcome! I'm so glad you came!' I haven't seen you here before, have I? I hope you'll stay. There was no room for reply, and I replied and nodded, taking in the full positive glow of his energy. This man was a hoot. Hello, Corey. I turned around and watched Dalton and Fred walk in, both smiling and much more at ease than when I last saw them. They turned and smiled at me, motioning me aside. The volunteer was busy greeting other people as they arrived. The room looked like it might hold twenty people at most. I was sure that anyone who looked at me could see that I was still shaken from the verbal beating that I had taken earlier. I can't say it was totally paranoia, but it probably wasn't as obvious as I imagined it might be. I'll introduce you in a moment, but... I wanted to let you know the drill before we got started. This is your night to shine, young Corey. I know you can do it. I've seen you do it before. What do you mean? 
I thought. I wasn't sure in my current state there would be much shining. I started to ask a string of questions, but Fred cut me off. No questions. You'll see. Dalton nodded approval of Fred's intervention and continued. See that Bible? Yes. It was a well-worn black leather Bible. Think of it as the same thing as my bag of tools. That's Gary's passport in here. I must have looked confused, because Fred immediately started to explain. Oh, he's the real thing. I mean, he's a Christian and all, but he just doesn't believe he has to convert everyone he runs into, and is genuinely interested in how we're doing in here. He's a breath of fresh air. I see. I really didn't see. But I thought I'd go along for the ride. Gary made his way over to us again, and Dalton made his introductions. Gary, this is Corey. He's a friend of mine for a few months now, and I think he'd be perfect for your group. Gary looked at me, still glowing, but now more excited than ever. Really? That's terrific! I just know you'll get along fine. He went back to his seat and started sorting through some small pieces of paper he had taken from his pocket. Dalton motioned for me to sit, and I did. The other people in the room had brought books with them. At first, I thought they were all Bibles, but upon further inspection, I noticed they had other titles, some of which I recognized, and others that I didn't. They all had the look of holy texts, and there was no telling exactly what this group might be doing. Well, folks, I see we have a newcomer here tonight, and we'll need to do some introductions, one by one. One by one, they welcomed me. Who would like to help Corey find peace in the group? A few hands went up. Gary took his time and selected a man who went and sat down on the floor in the middle of the circle. Dalton motioned for me to do the same. Reluctantly, I did. You need to be facing each other. Gary corrected my position. I had started out facing Gary, but the other man on the floor had already made a gesture that I needed to face him. He was older than I, but I guessed not by much. He wore blue jeans and a flannel shirt, and had his black hair combed back like they did in the fifties. I vaguely thought he might be an army veteran, but for one of the few times it seemed to matter, I wondered what his crime might have been. So many people had done things I would never have expected. As I've said before, it was practically forbidden to ask. So many things had hidden rules and social significance. The fact that this man, who was a stranger to me, would sit there on the floor in front of anyone who had come to the group that night and guide me was somewhat overwhelming. I hadn't seen a gesture of kindness in a while, and it really moved me. He just sat there with a peaceful and pleased expression on his face, waiting for Gary to continue. I challenge you to see each other tonight, Corey. Since you haven't been here before, let me explain what we're doing. Both of you will close your eyes, 
Sit quietly clearing your mind. When he's ready, Mike will say open, and you will look directly into each other's eyes. Say nothing. Be present for each other. And when you were looking at each other, I challenge you to see the other person for who they really are, not just the facade or appearance they present to the world. Think about what this person has been through, things you have in common, things that are different. Try to see it all. I closed my eyes. I waited for something to happen. I felt stupid. Everyone else in the room was looking at me. I was sure of it. I felt exposed, especially because of the afternoon's traumatic experience. Gradually, my mind relaxed a bit, and I was able to release some of my anxiety. I knew in the back of my mind that I was sitting on the floor in the middle of a group of convicts, but managed to shut them out and enter a place of peace. Open. The word rang out a bit harshly against the silence. I opened my eyes and found Mike staring at me with the most tender, compassionate look on his face. And in his eyes, that I involuntarily teared up. I knew he could see it. He smiled and his eyes swelled too. I studied his face. He had a little scar on his nose perhaps from a fight. I saw the boy in the man, the wry little smile of a youngster and the wise eyes of experience, all looking back at me, focused on bringing kindness to that moment. It warmed my heart deeply. A tear fell down my cheek. There were audible sighs as others in the circle sympathized with my feelings. Such love and friendship from a stranger. I imagined the pain that might have brought him here. The shame he carried, as we all did. I thought about the friends and relatives who no longer wrote to him, and the articles in the newspaper that would haunt him in the wee hours of the morning. I looked directly into his eyes. Something all but forbidden in this environment. They talked to me, just like Dalton did without words. Feelings, raw and befriending. Close. Gary bade us close our eyes once more, and another tear escaped down my cheek. When you are ready, Corey, open your eyes and look at Mike. After you have prepared yourself, I want you to say, open, and show Mike the same kindness he just showed you. Just then, it occurred to me what we were doing, practicing kindness. The realization gave me chills and filled me with a tangible positive energy. I waited a while and then opened my eyes. Mike was standing there, uh, sitting there before me, vulnerable and open to my gaze, wherever I asked it. <sighs> I saw him the way a parent might see him, lovable, caring, joyful. I also saw the hard edges. He had a biker's wallet in his back pocket. There was a tattoo on his forearm. The black Gothic lettering had obviously been there for many years. I consciously decided not to brand him for it, 
as I had done to countless others, I accepted him as a brother. Open. It was Mike's turn to tear up a little, and he wiped his nose on his sleeve. There were further small gasps and sighs from the rest of the group. We had made our friendship without a word, in the presence of our peers, bonded in a way that only the love of God could forge. I finally looked away to Gary, because I knew that Mike and I had said all we needed to say without ever uttering a word. Finish. Mike got up, and I followed him. He put his arms around me and gave me a big hug, then went back to his seat. The rest of the group started clapping. Well? Gary looked at me quizzically, obviously proud that the initiation had gone so well. Do you welcome all your new members like that? There was a chitter of laughter from the onlookers. Yep. There was general grinning and more laughter, things that were rare and cherished in prison. I think it's time for a prayer. Gary bowed his head and started thanking God for all the men who had shown up for my courage, for Mike's continued strength, for the example, and I just listened. There was nothing more for me to say. I felt somehow rescued that night and wanted to stay in the moment as long as I possibly could. And that's the end of that. Thank, thank you for choosing that piece. That was really beautifully written. Thank and, you. you know, um, one thing that really was apparent in that was seeing through the outer shell. So many times we hear something about someone or we see something that's written or whatever it is that somebody else's opinion anyways, not ours. And then we meet that person and we say, wow, I can't be that person. That's not the person I knew. It's not the person I met at all, you know? And I'm going to bring up second chances because we're talking to people that are in prison here and second chances go in our everyday relationships with people. You know, um, so many times we're not perfect. We're human beings. We make mistakes. We don't come with a manual. You know, there's no manual of life that says, okay, this is how everything is to happen. So, you know, the idea that these two men in the situation that they're in, they're in a prison where you're not supposed to have feelings. You're supposed to man up. You're supposed to keep everything in. And here you see what real men really are, that they can be open with each other and be able to reach a level of compassion and empathy without saying a word to each other. Well, thank you. And um, uh, yes, yes, and yes. Um, I, I guess uh, a couple of things I wanted to say about that uh, passage. Uh, the first is that uh, Mike is based on a friend uh, who was named Mike, um, who has since uh, passed on. I, I went to see him after I got out. 
Um, he uh, died of brain cancer uh, probably 12, 13 years ago at this point. Um, but I did meet him in a, in a meeting, you know, a meditation meeting, and um, he was a, a great role model for me. Um, and, uh, the, the exercise itself, I, I don't want to pretend that I came up with this because I, I didn't, uh, the exercise itself, uh, some people may recognize, uh, from the book, we're all doing time by Bo Lozoff. And, um, that text was one of the very first things I read when I got to prison. It was instrumental in finding peace and, uh, figuring out what the next steps were. It's a very good how-to book. Um, and, uh, I like Bo. He's, um, uh, also passed now. He died in 2012. Um, but I got a chance to meet him before he died. He came up to Belfast and gave a talk one night. Um, and, uh, he, he's written a number of good short story books. I, I think he would like this book. I, I would like to think that, uh, uh, this in some way, uh, continues some of his work. It's really interesting that you brought him up because I may have been at that same oh, event. Yeah. yeah. Was that the one where the yeah, power a... went out? Yes. Yep. Okay. I, so that was the same one. And yeah. my husband was talking when the power went out. Oh, okay. Yeah, he was, was he was trying to, ago. yeah, he was trying to ask him some question about, uh, his experience. And all of a sudden the power went out and I'm like, well, this is God intervening and telling my husband to sit down. I think <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Uh, he, I, I love him, but he does talk. So there's some, you know, there's been some really good work out there. Like you said, you've really mentioned. Uh, many of the authors that a lot of people that I've talked to have, um, you know, mentioned that have been life changing to them. And one of them stood right out was The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Uh, I know several of the guys that said that was one of those books that just spoke to them. And, it's a uh, fantastic it work. And Dan um, McMillian, is that his name? Uh, no, um, Dan Millman. Um, Millman, that's what it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. and um, so this this book actually takes things a step further. Um, the level of magical realism in uh, The Peaceful Warrior and The Peaceful Warrior's Sacred Journey and, and those books uh, is probably a two, and mine's close to a five. So now... Are you in the works of the next book, or are you already done with it and just waiting? Oh, it's not done. Um, it, I'm, it's still I'm a work crank, in cranking it out. It feels like I'm, uh, you know, cranking pasta out of a grinder. But um, it's uh, it's a good process. It's um, cathartic in so many ways. Uh, it's a, just a great exercise. I recommend writing. Uh, to people who need to uh, somehow find a voice for a feeling or to reconcile a period of time in their life or even just an emotion today. Um, one of my friends who uh, actually came in and was a volunteer for me in prison, uh, Bill Eberly, who uh, was an early reader in my book, and he's listed as an early reader, uh, writes a lot of poetry right now um, and finds it 
tremendously helpful uh, just to, to get things going. A lot of people who write poetry do it early in the morning to sort of set the tone of their day. So, um, you know, it, you, you don't just have to be a reader. You can be a writer of, of uh, whatever ilk you'd like to be. I love that you mentioned the reading and writing because um, one thing that I always suggest is reading. And people say, well, I don't read very good. You know, pick up a comic book. Just get in the practice of doing it. Write something, even if it's just a list, each day so you're practicing the skills. Because the more that you read and the more that you write, the better you get at it. And if you can read, you can learn anything. Not only can you learn, but it's a great escape when you grab a good fantasy book and you go somewhere else. And uh, so, yeah. And so talking about reading books, I want to remind people, Henry Lyons, Being Free on the Inside is the name of your book. Um, we want them to go out there and, and read it. Um, you've now heard him read some of it, so you're probably going to want to read the book and then listen to the audio book when it comes out, too. <laughs> well, we'll hope. Um, <laughs> I, I will say, and uh, at the risk of sounding like I'm uh, tooting my own horn, uh, one of the cons consistent comments I get back from the early readers is that they find it hard to put down. Um, that makes me pretty warm inside and, and happy because um, that's what I really wanted to create was uh, something that uh, is not boring. Um, I think I have some sort of mental timer that goes off if I think that things are getting boring and I just mix things up a little bit. But um, honestly, prison is a very easy place to have that happen. There are things that happen unexpectedly all the time. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think one of, the, one of the things I was reading last night, even in uh, chapter six maybe, has to do with the idea that uh, there are very few moments in life when you can get called to do something and you have no idea what it's going to be. And in prison, if your door pops open, you don't know where you're going half the time. You have no idea what's going to be at the end of that request or who's going to need to talk to you or what blood sample they need to draw or, or whatever it is that they need from you right now. Yeah, it's kind of a loss of control of everything. But we won't even go there because that's another whole podcast in itself. Could be, could be. And we've already taken up several weeks in our last potential topic. So, so um, is there anything that we haven't covered that we should cover before we wrap things up? Well, um, you know, I, I did send you a uh, sort of a little guidance that I do. And I just want to make clear to the people who are listening out there that I would love to hear from you. Um, things that I am looking for are uh, feedback on uh, what I've written. If you have the ability to write a review, uh, either for Amazon or for Goodreads, that would be appreciated. Amazon requires you to purchase something, but Goodreads does not. And if you don't know about Goodreads, there's a wonderful social site for people who are readers. You can uh, recommend books to each other. You can see what other people are reading and, and what their thoughts are about it and uh, give them stars. Um, I think I've managed to figure out so that uh, my, my reviews, you can only press the five-star button. Um, so I wouldn't even try any of the other star combinations. Just press the five-star one, and it'll save you a lot of frustration in the end. 
Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I am also looking for, uh, people to help me with marketing. So if you have marketing ideas, that would be cool. Um, if you want to request a copy of the book through your library, whatever your library is or the bookstore that you deal with, um, that would be helpful. If you have another podcast that you listen to that you want to hear me on, um, you can send me that information. Um, I will say that I am uh, scheduled to come out on a main Writers and Publishers Alliance newsletter this week, uh, possibly next week. They just said uh, sometime really soon here uh, as a uh, new author and new book. Um, and uh, finally, reviewers. Uh, if somebody is listening and they are a reviewer, and they uh, submit to either a fiction magazine or somewhere else uh, that uh, is for readers, uh, I would love it if you would contact me. I'd be happy to send you a, a, either an electronic copy or a physical copy. All right, great. So hang on a minute. I'm going to say a quick goodbye to everyone, and I'll be back with you. Well, thank you very much, Valley. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. Again, thank you, Henry. We've been talking with Henry Lyons. He is an author, being free on the inside, and I, he's not just an author, but that's what we're highlighting today. Uh, the book is very good. Uh, not only is the book good, the writing is exquisite. Um, I, I can't say enough about the descriptive writing, the emotion you feel, uh, as you're reading the book, you see what's going on, and that's that's great and a good author. So pick the book up again, Being Free on the Inside, Henry Lyons. And again, I'm Valerie Cartonio. You've been listening to The Prison Pod, and uh, don't forget, pick up a book. You never know where it'll take you. You have been listening to The Prison Pod, a podcast not just for those in prison but for anyone who has been affected by incarceration. Ms. Valerie would love for you to write to her with your questions, comments, and show ideas. The address is PrisonPod, Post Office Box 294, Orno, Maine, 04473. Remember, reading opens doors, so pick up that book.